The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. So isn't this weather change awesome? Like my body was appreciating the cooler weather, and then it got warm, and it started to like that, and then it got cold again. And now my I have a cold, and my body does not like this weather. So... Um, If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to go ahead and open it to Exodus chapter 3 today. If you have one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, that's going to be on page 38. And while you're turning to Exodus chapter 3, I'm just going to read the the commandment that we're going to spend our time talking about today. And it's pretty simple. It just says this. You must not use the name of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Well, that sounds pretty straightforward. When I was a kid, the way that I was uh, basically presented this commandment was, um, don't say Jesus Christ if you, if you bang your thumb with a hammer. And the second way was God's last name is not, don't say it, I know some of you wanted to. But like every other commandment that we're talking about, That wisdom, while not necessarily false, only scratches the surface of what God's true intention was for these commandments. The Ten Commandments aren't just an objective list of do's and don'ts. We're learning something about God's heart. We're learning something about God's character and his nature through this study. And each week as I work on the message for Sunday, I ask myself a few questions I ask, what is this commandment really about? What is this commandment revealing about God's heart? What is it revealing about his nature? What is it revealing about his character? And one of the tools that I use to help me with this is an app uh, called Logos. Um, some of you might call that a computer program. I think now we've, we've eliminated that word program, and now I think we just call everything apps. So I call, it's an app called Logos, and I use the free version. And what, what this app does is it allows you to see the text in the original language. So if it was the New Testament, that's going to be primarily in Greek. If it's the Old Testament, it's going to be in Hebrew. So I, I go to that text, and I actually handwrite that text out, um, looking at all of the different possible definitions of the words that go on. So I get a fuller understanding of what the verse is really trying to say. And the Hebrew for this word um, is actually really, really bizarre. Um, And I'm trying hard not to bore you with this, but the text is really weird for Exodus 27. And it it reads in English, it's been translated in English like this. So this is the English from the Hebrew. You shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God. You shall not misuse, because Yahweh will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. So it says you must not misuse, and then it says you must not misuse, and that's two times. And I don't know uh, Hebrew, so I did what all of us on staff here at Westway Christian Church do. When we don't know something in Hebrew, we call Aaron prose. Um, And then he helps us understand uh, what the text is. And after a little bit more study and some conversation with him, here's Here's really a better way to read Exodus 20, 20, verse 7. You shall not lift up God's name in a misused way. 
You shall not lift up God's name in a misused way as a better way to understand this particular commandment. Well, what, what does the phrase God's name mean? When we hear that, what God's name, what does that mean? What does the phrase in a misused way mean? What's the correct way for us to lift up God's name? And I think as we read through the Old Testament, one of the things we get rather quickly is that God is protective of his name. God's name matters to him. And I think all of us are like that. My name is John Thomas Mulholland Jr. My dad's name is John Thomas Mulholland Sr. So I was named after him. And yet there are a lot of nicknames that, that we get in life. And there have been nicknames that people have called me. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. A youth minister friend of mine calls me JT. When I was younger, some, some middle school kids called me John something Jr., which is actually kind of funny. I won't tell you what the middle word is, although I think you'll be able to figure it out. Uh, when I shared some adult, with my adult friends what that nickname was, they changed it to Triple J. So you think about what that middle name might be. Um, and the name that I really hate is Johnny. It's interesting today when I was, when I was in the lobby, uh, Jen Dillinger came in to work at the VBS, ta- VBS table. And Joe Peterson, our children's minister, um, called her Jenna. And very quickly he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I knew it was Jen. Um, and she said, well, that, that's fine as long as you don't call me Jenny. And so I shared with her just very briefly, like, I, like we have an affinity for the hatred of adding a Y to our names. So, um, so please don't call, me, uh, don't call me Johnny, I hate that. Um, and then our youngest child is John Thomas Mulholland III. And I remember um, there was this one time where, where he, w- he didn't want to be called John. And I'm going to say it in the voice that he, in the, in the way that he said it. Um, he said, I don't want you to call me John. I want a different name. Because, and he's telling his mom this. He's telling my wife Anne this. And he says, because sometimes when you say, um, when you say John, I'm like, what, mom? And dad's like, what, Anne? So it'll just be easier if you call me something else. So he came up with the name Jason that he wanted us to call him. And that lasted, honestly, I think it lasted about two and a half weeks. Um, so basically we call him uh, John 3 or J3 to differentiate between us. Um, our names matter. Our names matter to us and God's name matters to him. One of the things that Aaron told me in this, in this email conversation that we were having is that we can't use a physical representation of God for worship. We talked about that last week, right, of having, of having no idols. And even, even the elements in the tabernacle, when we talked about Hebrews, they weren't a representation for um, God in worship. So we don't have a physical, tangible thing that, that represents God in worship. So all we really have to go by is his name. All we have to go by is what he has revealed about himself through his name, of who he says he is. So this is, this is a really big way, a major way that God reveals himself to us. He makes himself visible is through his name. So let's go to Exodus uh, chapter 3. If you're not familiar with, um, 
with this story. This is about 400 years after the end of the book of Genesis. The Israelites have been enslaved or are still enslaved in Egypt and are so numerous that Pharaoh is going to kill all of the all of the baby males, all of the newborn males. And one of these babies is set into a basket and placed in the Nile River, and she is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. I know if you've been in church, like this is old news, you probably remember the felt board where you did that whole thing with. Um, one of my dreams, uh, one of my dream sermon series is just going to be called Felt. And I was talking about this with someone, and what I want to do is I want to have like an entire wall filled with felt board, and then just be able to tell Bible stories that way. Um, so that's my dream. So if you remember that story from, from Sunday school, Baby goes into the basket, floats down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter uh, discovers, uh, discovers this baby. She names him Moses, which sounds like the Hebrew term for to lift out. Okay, so names matter, right? So Moses got his name because of what it sounded like. Years later, Moses goes out, he's raised up in Pharaoh's house, and he goes out to see his people, and he sees an Egyptian beating uh, an Israelite, and he kills this Egyptian, buries his body in the sand. The next day he goes out, and now two Israelites are fighting one another, and he tells them to stop, and one of the Israelites said, oh, are you going to kill us too, like you killed the Egyptians, the Egyptian yesterday? So obviously he feels like he's found out, so he has to leave. And he flees to this nation called Midian where he marries and he has a son who's named Gershon, which sounds a lot like the Hebrew term that means a foreigner there. Okay, because names matter. Let's pick up the story here in Exodus 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. You notice that he called all of his people by name, right? Israel. Because names matter. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh 
Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Do you see the question that Moses is asking? Who am I? It's a question of identity. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Jacob, Abraham, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have seen, I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. God's doing a lot of things in this text this morning. First thing he does is he's giving his identity. And that identity begins with the God of Moses' ancestors, that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses' response when he hears this is to cover his eyes because he's afraid. Because he would have heard all of these stories about who God was. All of the punishments and all of the promises all of the judgments that God had brought among the people throughout history, this God was now in front of Moses. And because, here's the second thing, because he was, because of his identity as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he not only knew who his people were, but he knew that his people were suffering. And it was time for him to act. Because of who he was and because of who they were. Again, this concept of identity. As a parent, when my, when my children are in trouble, like, I want to help them. And if you're a parent, you know that. If you're a grandparent, you know that. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you know that. If someone that, if a child of yours is in trouble, you want to rescue them. You want to help them. And this was the time to act because God had foretold this years and years and years earlier when he talked to Abraham. And this is what he said to Abraham. You'll be the father of many nations and they'll receive my blessing and they'll be a blessing to other people. I'll always be your God, the God of you, the God of all of your descendants, and I'm going to give you the entire land of Canaan. And this is exactly what Abraham heard, and it's what Moses is hearing now. And in Abraham's time, this was a covenant. This was a promise. And this entire promise was based on God's identity. And I wish, I wish we had so much time to go back and read this story of Abraham, because there are so many things that are taking place in this, in this scene. And here's the third thing that God did. He gave Moses his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. It's an eternal name and it's always been. And here's an interesting fact that I didn't know until just the other day. Yahweh is not a noun, but it's a verb. It's an action 
It's not just telling us an identity of who God is, but he's, he's telling Moses about what he is doing. God is active in their lives and he's active in our lives. And it's also a name that few people actually said after this moment. This is why if you're flipping through the Old Testament and you see the Lord in all caps, they would not have said the word Yahweh because it was such a holy name. During the second temple period, the only time the high priest would say it would be on the Day of Atonement. And eventually, the word Adonai would replace the word Yahweh. And many Orthodox Jews don't even say that now. They say Hashem, which means the name. And I have a Jewish friend who, whenever she talks about God, she just writes G space D. Because God's name is holy. And Jesus knew this. During the New Testament in John chapter 8, Jesus is having this discussion with the people about his own identity. And what they start to do is they begin to argue with Jesus because they are children of Abraham because of their relationship with Abraham. Like they're automatically into God's kingdom. It's just a foregone conclusion because of who they were. But this conversation gets really, really heated. And Jesus tells them that they can't understand what he's saying because they're not children of Abraham. They're actually children of the devil. And they don't listen to what he says. They don't listen to what Jesus says because they don't belong to God. And if they had truly been children of Abraham, then they would do everything Jesus had told them to do. And he says, essentially, I was there with Abraham. And of course, the people, this doesn't make any sense to them. You're not even 50 years old. How do you know what Abraham saw? How can you say this, Jesus? You're not even 50 years old. In John 8, 58, Jesus says this. Let me tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Before Abraham was even born, Yahweh. He uses this name that he's not supposed to. And they were so angry with him because he misused God's name that they immediately pick up stones and they're going to murder him because that was the punishment for misusing God's name. But see, Jesus wasn't misusing God's name. He was telling them who he was. He was telling them that he was God. God's name is not just an identifier. It tells us everything about him. Who he is, what he does, how he does it. All of these things are wrapped up in his name. So we want, we want to avoid talking about God we want to avoid talking about God's name in a misused way. We want to honor God. And there are several, seven ways that we might misuse God's name. We can misuse it in a worthless way, or a futile way, or an inconsequential way. We can misuse it in an unrestrained way, in a false way, in a destructive way, in a magical way. And what I did is I took those seven and I put them down into three, three categories. Okay, the first one is desolating, and that's in a destructive and evil way. So we misuse God's name 
in a desolating way when we use it in a destructive and evil way. And I had two scenes in Scripture, actually one scene in Scripture that, that came to mind for me in this. This is in Luke chapter 9, 53 to 56. Jesus and the disciples are, are heading into this Samaritan village for a meal. But the people there refuse to accept Jesus because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So, James and John, they come up to Jesus and they ask for his permission to call down fire upon the village and kill everyone in there. What they want to do is they want to use God's name in a destructive and evil way. Well, Jesus, if they're not going to accept you, let's just wipe them all out. And what Jesus does is he rebukes them. So whenever we say to someone or we think to someone, like, like someone should go to hell, when we think that phrase, what we're doing is we're using God's name in a destructive and evil way. We're misusing God's name. And that phrase isn't just wrong because it sounds bad. Those kind of phrases are wrong because, because we're trying to justify our wicked behavior by stamping God's name on it. Right? Because that's what the disciples were trying to do. We're going to destroy this village in your name because they wouldn't welcome you. And Jesus rebukes them for that. So here's the second way that we can misuse God's name. We use it falsely. And that's idolatrous and magical. And there are two scenes that come to my mind here. The first is in Acts um, chapter 8, 4 to 25. We read about this man who is a sorcerer named Simon in Samaria. And Philip's in the same city, and he's proclaiming the message of Jesus. And all of these people are being baptized. And when they arrive, they, they pray for the believers. Um, the disciples arrive. They pray for the believers to receive the Holy Spirit. They lay hands, and Simon sees this, and he goes up to the disciples, and he says, hey, if I give you some money, can you give me the power to lay hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit? Like, can I pay you for this, for this power? And what Peter does is he rebukes him, and he tells him to repent of his sin because the power of God is not something to be bought and sold. It's not false. And then the second one is very similar to this, and this is in Acts chapter 19. And this time it's Paul who's casting out demons, and these seven Jews are going around this area, and they too are casting out demons. Often they would include Jesus' name in their command to get the demons out of people. And one time, and this was probably the last time they did this, they said to the demon, in Jesus' name, leave this man. And here's what the demon said. I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And then this one demon-possessed man beat all seven of these men. What it says in scriptures, he actually beat them so hard, beat them so much that their pants were taken off of them. And I love, the way, I love the way Matt Chandler talks about this. He says, you know, when you hear about a fight that two, peop- that two people got in, whoever leaves the fight at the end without their clothes on, they're the ones that lost, okay? So regardless of how many good punches they got in there or how many good kicks they got, if you don't have your pants on, you have lost. See, there's nothing about God's name that's magical. 
the cross that, that maybe we carry around with us because we don't want to leave home without it. Or we don't want to, you know, we want to ward off evil spirits. Carry your Bible around with you. And you don't really have an intent to live it out, but you do that because that's what good Christians do. When we do that, we are, we're misusing God's name. We're giving it attributes that it doesn't have. And back to our previous conversation about, about the Jews and being descendants of Abraham. For us as 21st century Christians, it doesn't matter who our grandparents were and what their role was in the church. Those things do not make us Christians. And I would encourage you, if, if the main reason you're a believer is because your grandfather or grandmother was a Christian, you may not be a Christian. We are Christians when we accept the work that Jesus has done for us as individual people. None of us are grandfathered into the kingdom. And here's, here's the third and final way that we often misuse God's name. Useless and vain, worthlessly, futilely, and inconsequentially. Toward the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. See, when we hear what Jesus is saying, for those of us that, that are followers of Jesus, we, we need to lean into this text. We need to hear this warning that he is giving us. Because what Jesus is doing is he's going beyond our actions and he's going into our motivations. Because Jesus knows what's going on inside of our hearts. And while we might be tempted to, to read through Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and maybe it's another list of all of the things that we shouldn't do, just like the Ten Commandments were in the Old Testament, what Jesus is saying here ought to give us pause, ought to encourage us to look into our own motivations, because there's a way to do the right things wrongly. There's a way to do the right things wrongly. There's a way to do the right things and have them not count. And what Jesus is warning against here is the people who are going to spend their entire lives striving and striving and striving to earn their salvation. Because they think that what they do matters more than who they are. And those people are only going to come up short. And this is the warning that Jesus is making. And I don't, I don't want... I don't want this to cause any of us to like leave here freaked out about our salvation. What I what I want you what I want you to do is be confident and rest in the work that Jesus has done for you. What I want you to do is stop reading your Bible because you have to and because that's what good Christians do and because you're trying to earn your salvation. I want you to stop coming here 
on a Sunday morning because this is what good Christians do and this is the measurement of how I measure my relationship with God. What I want you to do is I want you to rest in Jesus' work. Rest in Jesus' name. And as I was thinking about names, for some of us in the room, our family name doesn't mean very much. For some of us in the room, our family name doesn't have a very good reputation because our siblings or our grandparents or our own parents or our aunts and uncles did something really, really stupid to sully your name, to ruin your name. And some of us are so haunted by that that no matter what we do, we can never escape that name that we have. And here's an interesting thing about our earthly names is, is none of us chose our earthly name. We are, we are who we are. But following Jesus is a choice. Taking on the name of Christian is a choice. And we are who we are because of who he is. And what God is calling us to do is he's calling us to live according to his name. We want to lift him up, not just in our words, but in our deeds and in our thoughts. So I want to lift up Jesus' name together this morning. So here's, here's what I would love for you to do. I'd love for you, everyone, to stand So go ahead and stand up. And I'd like for you to close your eyes. And maybe you want to raise your hands or hold them out in front of you. Since no one's looking, it's not going to be that embarrassing. You can hold your hands up. Just raise your hands. Let's just stand silently before God for a moment before we lift him up together. You can open your eyes. You stay standing. We're going to read Psalm 145. It's a psalm of praise, and the words are going to be on the screen. We're going to read Psalm 145 together and lift up God's name. And then when we're done, I'd just like for you to, again to close your eyes and, and raise your hands. So let's read this psalm together. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, 
and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Close your eyes and... God, we want to lift up your name. We want to praise you as holy. We want to praise you as perfect. We want to praise you as worthy. And we don't just do that with our mouths, but we do it with our lives. God, you offer every one of us an identity. You offer every one of us the opportunity to live out your name. Call us to be a people that takes that responsibility seriously. Call us to be a people that takes that responsibility honorably. And call us to be a people who takes that responsibility faithfully. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.